HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Hey there, welcome to The Feed Feed, where we sit down with leaders and upstarts of the food media realm to discuss everything from navigating social media, building, engaging with, and growing a community, and producing content that resonates with young and old. I'm Jay Cohen, Editorial Director of The Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source of what to cook, bake, and drink. Today, we have a longtime friend of Feed Feed. We have Valerie Lomas. Not only is she an incredible food blogger, you probably know her as Foodie in New York. She's also the winner of the third season of The Great American Baking Show, as well as a soon-to-be cookbook author, as well as a heritage radio podcast host um, of Why Food. Thank you so much for joining us, Valerie. Hey, Jake. I'm so glad you invited me on here. Of course. I mean, I was thinking back to the first time we met. I don't know if you remember, but we met um, at a Bake From Scratch event in Brooklyn. And it's kind of the perfect way that I want to talk about this conversation in terms of your career and uh, where we get jumping off was like, we were chatting, I introduced myself and you were like, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a baker. And I just found that so incredible. Talk to me a little bit about your background and kind of like that first entry into food. Yeah. Um, I do want to say I do remember meeting you, Jay. I remember meeting you at that event. Um, Ed Kimber invited me. But um, <laughs> no, that was a great event. But um, yeah, so I was actually in my last year of law school and it was 
during the 2008 recession, it was a little bit after 2008, but it was still like the height of um, the layoffs and the hiring freeze. And, you know, it's funny because what people are doing right now, which is baking, is what I started doing as a way to just kind of escape what was happening all around me. And even though I had grown up baking, I got just really intense with baking and I started a food blog and it was like just a place for me to go, like that being the kitchen and not have to worry about what was happening around me. And it, you know, it caused me to just be mindful of what I was doing in that moment. So it was like meditative almost. And I just started baking and I haven't really stopped since. There have been pauses, but um, that was like the beginning of like my intense um, frequency of baking and just going through cookbooks and learning different things. So, uh, you know, it, it's so interesting because in a way it's been a, it's been a decade and we have kind of come full circle in so many ways. So um that's how I got started. So who knows what's who knows what people are doing during this um, stay at home time and a hundred percent. And especially that that's a huge conversation in terms of, of uh, moments like a recession, moments like a, a crisis like this becomes uh, kind of that true like wake up call in terms of. Um, is this what I want to be doing? What are my priorities? What are my passions? And I feel like this is the time when a lot of people end up completely uh, changing course. Exactly. So, so in terms of, of this, then, did you pursue law at all in the sense of uh, professionally or did you go straight into then baking? Yeah, so, I mean, it, you, I mean, looking back, it's really funny because, you know, my third year of law school, it was like r- right before I... You know, I spent the summer at a fancy law firm and they ended up not giving me a job. And I was so like, my feelings were so hurt. I was devastated. And I was like, at the time, like just turned 24. And I was like, you know, I'll show them I'm just not gonna apply for any jobs, which is, which is really, <laughs> really silly. But, um, you know, come to find out they, I think out of like, all of their California associates, they gave like one person an offer. So like one out of 20. So it wasn't like anything that had to do with me. It was just the situation. But, um, you know, I was like, I'm just not even going to apply for a job because I didn't want to be like, I didn't want my feelings to get hurt again. So I ended up moving to France when I finished law school. And I lived in France for a year. And I just kind of, um, I was working part time at a school as a language assistant. And you know, when the year was up, I moved to New York and I ended up getting a job. So I worked as an attorney for eight years. Um, And during that time, you know, I was still, I was still blogging occasionally. You know, when I moved back from France, I actually started a macaroon business and I had, um, I was a part of Hot Bread Kitchen's incubator program. And it was, it was going so well that I was kind of faced with, um, am I going to try this like full time? And you know, at the time, I didn't feel like I had the business acumen. Or, you know, am I going to kind of somewhat like validate this law degree that I had earned and these, you know, bar admissions that I had attained. So um, I did practice for a a while, it feels like, you know, a whole, I had a whole career. And now I'm having another career. So I love it. Yes. Um, So in terms of the jump. This is something that comes up a lot 
um, on the podcast in terms of I love to ask our guests, like, what was the mindset in terms of uh, making that switch into pursuing it full time? Was there like some kind of goal that you set for yourself that made you choose? Was there some kind of like wake up call? What was that kind of uh, experience like for you internally? Yeah, I mean, so I knew I wanted to write a cookbook. And to write a cookbook, you have to write a cookbook proposal. And writing a cookbook proposal, if you've never written a cookbook proposal, is <laughs> it's like a big undertaking. And in some ways, it's like harder it's huge... than the book, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you have yeah. to know like everything that you want to say in this book and the message and the recipes. And I was sitting at my office, at my desk, giving my job the best eight to 10 hours of my day every day, Monday through Friday. And as much as I wanted to, you know, be able to like split my time and crank out a cookbook proposal while, you know, while dealing with, (laughs) while dealing with the, the happenings at where I was working, I wasn't able to. And I think I was also just at a point where I was tired because I had been like in like splitting my time in these two worlds um, you know, from competing on the show and coming back and all of this stuff, I think I was just tired. And I saw each day that ticked by like a window of opportunity that was closing. And it felt like it was like closing in on me. And I started to feel like claustrophobic. And I, I just had to like jump out of the window. So, you know, I took the leap. <laughs> and, um, and the net appeared. And you know, it still took me a little bit of time to finish my proposal. And by that, I mean, gosh, it probably took me another four or five months. And it's not that it takes four months to write a book proposal. <laughs> it's just like a lot. But it could, honestly, it's something and, and I want to dive yeah. into that more in the sense of uh, that's such a huge takeaway for so many people who listen to the show in the sense of um writing a cookbook seems like this magical experience. Um, but it really does require so much work and putting your heart and soul into a proposal that can very well be like completely rejected. That's something, one of my favorite things to go over, um, are the stories of first proposals getting rejected from everyone, which happened to myself, happened to, uh, so many guests that have been on the show that have gone on to write such successful books. Um, What was your mentality going through writing that first proposal? um, And what were the kind of resources that you used to make it happen? Yeah. I mean, so I had an agent and she had, you know, shared with me some other people's proposals. And in a way, this is something I have been thinking about for years Um, It felt like a dream that didn't really have a chance at ever happening, but it is something that I had like ideas I had been incubating and thinking about for a very long time. So it was really just a matter of like making them make sense, like putting them into a structure and telling a story that is somehow connected and the recipes are connected and it, you know, weaving together that narrative to have it make sense. So, um, you know, I got like, (laughs) it's hard to even say because, you know, I wrote my proposal and 
I shared it with a few people. Like, thankfully, I have some people in the industry who I look at as mentors. And, you know, they gave me their feedback. But really, the like the biggest thing, um, actually, another one of the Heritage Radio Network hosts, Dana Cowan, I met up with her one one day because, gosh, months had, months had gone by. And I was like, I just can't, I was like, I just can't write this book proposal. I don't know what's wrong with me. I was like, you know, I quit my job and I'm out here just making SpawnCon. I didn't, I didn't leave my job as a lawyer to promote other people's businesses. I did it because I had a story I wanted to tell. And I met with her and she was like, you know, I know you, you can do it. So just do it. (laughs) And she was like, get me a draft in a week. (laughs) So thankfully, like I had someone that, helped me get over that blockage of um, because writing is a, is a weird process, right? It's um, you know, it, it, I mean, I (laughs) go ahead. I just, I relate, I relate to that so much. I, it always goes back to um, like the, the famous um, RuPaul line from drag race where he always will tell contestants. It's so non-related to food, but uh, one of the, the big pep talks is like, RuPaul will always be like, do not be your own saboteur. Mm -hmm. And I remember there were so many times during the process in which, especially when you have such a large undertaking, it's like, well, where do I begin? Um, And then on top of that, like, where do I begin? Where do I, where do I continue? How do I wrap it up? How do I make it work? Because at the same time, like, especially the first one, um, you just, there's so much unknown. Right. And it's it's not like it's some kind of transparent process where, you know, everyone is telling you exactly what to do and exactly what to expect next. It's not it's not like this. It's very much like um you know, it, like I look at I look at cookbooks in particular, I think it's seen as like a hit business where it's like yeah. You really don't know what's going to come out on the other side and if people if it's going <laughs> to resonate with people. Um, yeah. so, you know, I, thankfully I had someone that kind of helped push me so that I could, um, finish my proposal. And then even still, it still took like several months for, um, for us to start shopping it and for me to ultimately get a book deal. Um, it's a very long process. And when I started, people were like, it's a very long process. And it's hard to like, imagine just how long it is sometimes until you're in it. Um, yeah. What can you share in terms of the focus of the book, any of the, the kind of ideas that, um, you had mentioned, uh, from the beginning of starting the proposal process that you really wanted to foster? Yeah. I mean, so the book, it's a baking book and it's, it's baking. Like for me, it's like, it hits all of the major points in baking. So we've got, um, pies and cookies and cake. And, you know, there's some stuff that's inspired by my heritage and by places I've been. Um, and like the theme of it um, is kind of my life philosophy. Uh, you know, when, when I won the Great American Baking Show and it was canceled, I said during an interview, I said, when life gives you lemons, make lemon curd. And I said that because like, I love lemon curd. I'm a lemon curd fiend. I love lemon desserts. And that's just like where I was in that moment. And that's where I, I try to be 
still, which is, um, you know, we just have to make the most out of, out of what we have when we're given it. So, um, you know, I try to tie that theme in into the cookbook in different places, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I've kind of taken that line and run with it. I love it. I mean, it's a wonderful line. Um, and then from there, what was the process like in terms of, um, writing the book? I always kind of talk about the concept of like the proposal is such a beast, but then like, and it sets the groundwork for everything you're going to do. But then of course you have to do it and you have to develop the recipes and test them and cross test them. And then there's the photo shoot and and everything. What was that like as a first time cookbook author going through this process? Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. It's, it's like, uh, gee, it's hard to fathom like how big a cookbook can be (laughs) when you, until you're like in it because, um, you know, it's not like developing a recipe for a brand or for your blog or social media account. There's just something about it that feels just so much bigger. So in some ways, it's like just kind of like looking at the mountain and like wondering how the heck you're going to climb up it. And then you remember it's just one step at a time. So it's one it's one chapter at a time. It's one recipe at a time. It's one, you know, one test at a time, one ingredient at a time. So, um, you know, I think that's, it can be scary just like looking at this mountain because I I think there's a real steep learning curve to writing a cookbook. So if you've done it, it's like something like, oh yeah, like some people, they just can like crank it out, right? And some of us are like, "Um, I'm not a writer. I'm not even a chef. Like what is happening? So... (laughs) What was the um, shoot process like? As someone, I mean, this is something that's come up briefly. I haven't gone like completely into it um, on the show, but my book shoot was literally right before shutdown. Like our final day of shooting was when New York went on pause. So it was like this crazy crunch to get everything done. Um, And that being said, I'm also a lunatic. So I was on set starting at six in the morning to get the ovens preheated and start baking and staying late up all night, getting everything ready for the shoot the next day. Even though I had a whole team, I just wanted to be very involved. Um, What was the shoot process like for you? I just think that it's something that so many people cannot fathom. Um, Even if they work in, in food media and you're constantly doing like two shoots a day and then all of a sudden you're doing a week of of 100 recipes right right so funny story (laughs) actually um the photographer the photography team that i chose and loved are based in canada so because of this shutdown i am not able to go to canada so my photo shoot is actually in flux right now and it's not exactly put on hold, but it's being transitioned into something that's local. So, um, so that has been, uh, again, just something that we've had to kind of adapt and move with because can't get to, I can't go to Canada. Um, it's, and yeah. even though much no, and that's understandable. Opening their borders. <laughs> we are not on that list <laughs> because, <laughs> um, most of the world seems to, um, have managed, you know, the outbreak better than we have. So I saw like 
you know, a lot of European countries are reopening and we're not on the list. And, you know, the same with Canada, there's still, we can't really, um, unless, you know, you're a citizen or you're providing some essential service, like the border is still closed to us. So um, it's been, you know, it's just been something that you just have to deal with because um, so much is being, um, so many things are being affected and we all just kind of have to adapt and keep it moving. So I will, we, uh, we will have that conversation at a later time. A hundred percent. And I have no doubt that it will work out and it will be amazing. And looking back, it'll be like, oh, it was meant to be that it happened this way. Um, that's the, the, always the outlook. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to take these lemons. You're going to make lemon oh, curd. Total, like I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm back, like super excited about the photo shoot. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. It's just. It just hasn't happened yet, but I think we're aiming for later this summer. So, awesome. Um, with this, I kind of want to talk about something that you mentioned a little earlier, which is that concept of you quit your job and you didn't want to just be doing SpawnCon. Um, and I, I kind of want to talk about the market as a whole and the concept of a recipe developer and what needs to be done to survive and the concept of the market and the dream to write for food magazines or develop recipes and the balance between editorial and sponsored, which is something that we, we talk about a fair deal um, because it's important to understand that delicate balance of being able to support yourself financially as well as kind of fulfill your dreams. Um, what was your what's been your experience and what are kind of like some surprising things as you've grown throughout your career? Yeah. I mean, I, I just try to remind myself, what is it that I am looking to accomplish? Like, what are my goals? And one goal that I have is storytelling, right? I want to tell a story. I want to inspire people to cook. Um, I want to tell other people's stories. So when I look at how I spend my day and how I spend my time and where I focus my energy, um, those are things that are important to me. I also, I enjoy developing recipes. I enjoy taking pictures and taking video. And, um, you know, I, I, I like that aspect. I like working with brands. Many brands are like really fun to work with. It's really exciting to like, to, um, to get to work with people who you've admired your whole life. Right. Like, um, like it, it feels really special. And like growing up, like I remember like the pecan pie recipe, like the first pecan pie recipe I made, it was like, you look at, you look at the back of the bottle of the corn syrup and you use that recipe. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and maybe, maybe, I mean, I think really that cool to like be a part of that story of like American foodways and contributing to it. Um, so for me, it's just like I have to ask myself, like, okay, I want to be a storyteller, and I want to do that in different media. Media. I'm like, okay, what is the singular of medium? Um, I guess plural <laughs> of media. Media. I don't know. But um, I want to do it in different mediums in different ways. And, you know, whether I'm telling my own story or getting to tell someone else's story through my freelance writing, um, that is something that's important to me. And when I am doing sponsored posts, like it is it 
in many ways feels like a privilege because you get to actually influence like how people in this country um, eat and approach food and make recipes. Um, at the same time, it is just something to balance because if you spend all of your time and energy promoting other people's brands instead of your own, um, you know, you just have to ask yourself, like, is that what my goal is? And for me, my goal encompasses a lot of different things. So it is a, it is a tough thing to balance. Um, and if you're, you know, completely reliant on it for your, um, you know, if you're reliant on it as the way that you are able to live and exist in this world, that adds another layer. So when I was working full time as a lawyer, uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't that concerned about what I was being paid for different things. And I had no problem turning down things I didn't want to do. Whereas now that I'm reliant yeah. on food media for 100% of my income, um, it's important to me that, you know, I'm compensated for my work. Uh, and it's important that, um, you know, thankfully, I don't feel like I'm at a place where I feel, you know, quote unquote, like, how can I say this? I don't feel like I'm just out here like hunting for food right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, it is, it is something delicate to balance and it is when you are reliant on the, on work, it's, it's really difficult when your inbox gets flooded with people that want you to work for free. Um, <laughs> Cause it takes time just to even, even go through that and explain to them, Hey, um, I'm doing this for my living the same way that you're emailing me and you're, you know, you're doing this for the way you earn your living. So. And I think that that's kind of this huge conversation that's been happening for like the last year. I feel like it's really come to a head in the sense of brands, people kind of responding to brands being like, that's wonderful. We don't need free condiments, we need compensation if you'd like media space. Um, do you find that there has been any type of improvement in the past few years in terms of um, brands understanding that balance of asks from creators like yourself and the, the conversation around compensation? Or do you think it's still an issue that um, really needs to to be fixed. Oh, I definitely think it's still an issue. Um, like I'm in a number of like, you know, secret Facebook blogging groups and it's, it's really interesting because I feel like it's something where like we all kind of rise or fall together. And, um, it, you know, I think that like historically there's been a reluctance for people to like share, um, with, with, I guess who they perceive as their competition. Um, you know, to share like what, a, even with writing, like what a specific magazine is willing to pay per word or per recipe. And the same thing with, um, you know, with sponsored posts or with developing recipes for a brand or photos for a brand. Um, so I think it's, it's something that definitely needs to be talked about. I see people um, who have decent sized platforms who do work um, you know, without being compensated because they're like, well, if I do this one thing, then maybe they'll hire me for something later down the road. And I totally get that. And I've done that. 
Um, and I just think that, you know, when you're at a point where you've done that enough, um, you know, I have to ask myself, like, is this a brand I really want to work with? Or is this an opportunity I really want to take? Um, and, you know, actually, we this discussion, you know, really came to a head with the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen with the video content. Because video, like creating videos for like a huge brand with like a very real platform where like exposure really means like you are really, you know, and within with under a year, you could get hundreds of thousands of of people in your social media following. Um, you know, the question is, is that enough compensation or should you actually be compensated for making the videos? And I think that's something we see throughout our industry. Often it's you know, the exposure versus the financial compensation and, and how do you balance that? Um, and that's a question 100%. that we haven't really, no one's really delved into quite yet. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then I want to dive right into it. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So you had just kind of brought up, which is honestly one of the biggest reckonings um, in food media, um, which is this whole debacle around Bon Appetit, which funny enough, it's it's still with Condé Nast, um, which is always typically the center of these huge changes in food media. Um, I remember the last one was... Conde got into a lot of trouble around unpaid internships. And I was of the class of editors and people who have entered into food media through unpaid internships. And I'll never forget my um, internship at Sever Magazine, which was unpaid. And at the very end, the lawsuit was going down and they made the announcement that everyone had to be paid, including interns. Um, And I I think there's something, uh, there's just, there's both sides of the coin in the sense of on one end, you have to wait until some huge conglomerate makes such 
an incredible um, kind of mistake and people go public with talking about it in order for change to happen. Um, on the other end, because they're so huge, when people talk out, change does happen. So it just, it's super weird. But I, I want to dive in to what you were talking about in terms of the conversation around um, exposure as compensation versus compensation, because that's something that, that is still an issue today. Right. And I think, well, I think the exposure thing, it's, it's almost got like two points to it. There's like exposure for someone building their personal brand. And then in a way it's like exposure to the person that you're trying to bring on as a client to show, Hey, like, this is what I can do so that we can hopefully turn this into something paid or more consistent or long-term in the future. Um, and I think that like, in a way, like this is something that, um, that we have to just kind of ask ourselves, like, what it like, what is it that you need? But on the other hand, it is like, it is a question of should there be some kind of other protections? Um, you know, I'll use like a big scary word, right? Like unions, for example. So mm. um, the woman who, who posted, you know, initially posted the, the picture that seemed to, to, uh, to, to, be the catalyst for the Bon Appetit story, you know, she changed her Twitter handle uh, to make it about advocating for, um, you know, unionizing these writers. And, you know, that's a really interesting concept because you look at Hollywood, right? You look at people who do commercials and, and it's like, goodness, it's, it's like shocking how much they earn for, they earn and, and, in television media otherwise. Um, and they're paid for overtime and there's no expectation to work above and beyond what you are compensated for. There, there, there's a huge conversation in terms of what media is um, in the traditional sense versus how food media and publishing um, really hasn't been touched by that. Right. And I like I am I am not someone who understands the intricacies of food media at all whatsoever. I am so new to this game and I have been like incredibly like privileged in many ways that I started off like, well, I still had a full-time job and, you know, I started, I really kind of dived into this world when I had already won this, this baking competition. So I don't even purport to pretend to know that I know what's going on. I'm just kind of following what other people are talking about. Um, And I think that just having a dialogue sometimes, I think we're scared to even like have that dialogue, but I think that dialogue is important. Um, I just think it's like important that we can openly discuss some of these things uh, because I think like the current, like the current, and the current movement that's happening, I think it it's kind of pushing us to envision, like, what does our, what is it that we see as like our best way of life, and if if like we have to envision it, that's the first step, and then we have to like talk about and strategize and game plan how to make that happen. Um, like, how do we make things more equitable? How do we make things more fair? Um, so I think envisioning it is the first step and then talking about it is the second step. But 
again, because people's livelihoods are at stake, it is something that's scary to even talk about. Yeah. I mean, the fact is this conversation really, it's so deep and, and we're talking about this as like the construct of media. And this is something that I've talked a bit about, um, especially in the past few weeks as we've been talking about food media as a whole and the concept of diversity and equity and how do you get there when um, media without a union, without that media as it exists is um, not fair trade. I, I was, I brought up in a conversation with someone like, what would fair trade media look like um, in the sense of writers, everyone being paid um equally and fairly for the work they put in. Because right now we've created this issue in the sense of entry-level positions in food media. And I'll be like, I'll be very candid. Um, My first staff job was at 30K. Um, And it was something that there was no negotiation was on the table. It was take it or leave it. Was that Um, in New York, Jake? That was in New York. Manhattan? That was in in Manhattan. That was in Manhattan. And it was one of the things where that is not... Wild. I had a friend who was an editor at Out Magazine. I kid you not, his salary was 19K. And there's that concept of when you create these hurdles in media for entry-level positions at such incredibly low salaries, you create a workforce of predominantly white affluent people who are the only ones who could possibly take those positions and live in a city like New York. And it creates this vicious cycle of creating hurdles to that will never get a diverse staff that we need in order to properly represent the food world. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, gee, and for people outside of New York City who might not quite have the perspective of how expensive it is living in New York City, um, you know, I worked at a nonprofit with, and they're notorious for you know paying low. Um, low salaries, um, making, I want to say when I first moved here, I was making like 45 K a year. And the only way I was able to like make ends meet was going into my savings account every single month. So that's not a living wage in New York city. <laughs> it's, it's true. And I mean, the Listen, I'll get real candid. I wanted, like, I couldn't afford a gym membership. So I started working part-time at a spin studio in my neighborhood because I got free classes for that. So I was working seven days a week on top of the fact that I was incredibly lucky to be living, again, I come from privilege and I was staying in a a family-owned apartment. So I had to only pay um, maintenance, which was much more affordable than if I was renting in that same neighborhood. And on top of that, I had, was dating my now husband at the time. And my mother told me that my sister was transferring colleges and moving to New York. And she said, if you left, if you let your sister move in with you, um, I'll take the money that was going to go towards her dorm and put it towards your rent. And I was not in a place to say no to that. So it was literally my husband, myself and my sister all living in a studio. Like you do what you have to do to make it work. Um, But the conversation is not about these individual stories, but it's about the fact that like 
as media exists right now as a construct is not working. Um, and what is going to be that next wave of either digital publications or magazines or uh, video brands that can give you the exposure that you deserve while also compensating you. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, those are all just like such great points. And I think the question also just comes down to like, what's sustainable, right? From the business perspective of, you know, of print magazines or any kind of print media or even like a personal perspective of like, is it sustainable to live in a studio apartment with three people? Like, how long can you do that before it's like, you know what, I would rather just, <laughs> I would rather just not, I would rather just leave this industry and go do something else where I can just like, have somewhat of a just slightly more comfortable lifestyle. Um, and I think that's a question a lot of us ask ourselves continuously is like, do I have a place in this industry? And if so, like, what does that place look like? Um, so I think that's a great point, you know, about what is the future? What is that future going to look like? What is sustainable from a business perspective with with magazines? And, you know, because I know like each magazine has their own way of doing things, but, you know, they, they all have their own way of of what's bringing in the money, you know, and is it, is it actually at dollars from the print magazines? You know, I'm sure some more than others, obviously subscriptions are huge right now. Like New York times cooking is like killing it. Right. Like, yeah. Take my $5 every month, please. Like, 100%. Yes. <laughs> so what is kind of your thoughts on like with everything that happened with Bonap and this push right now, I would love to know in terms of how the greater food world can not only like, I think the issue is, is that, that the first step and the minimum is um, exposure, or making sure you're following diverse perspectives in food, um, understanding that like there needs to be due diligence to prevent cultural appropriation. What, what do you see as kind of the long-term needs in media right now for a more equitable environment? I mean, I think that like, it's easy to like focus in on media because that's the industry that we're in. But I really do think this is like just an across the board kind of thing that needs to happen. And I feel like, um, you know, if if across the board we, I don't know, we like start like teaching American history from a way that's a little more like, um, I don't want to say accurate, accurate, yeah, yeah but no, accurate, accurate, yeah. Because I mean, it's standard that you know the people who are in power are the ones that write the story about what happened. But uh, you know, we're at a place now where we've had so many historians and professors that are, that are giving accounts of what, what's happened. So I think that um, like, first we have to just like acknowledge like how our country like came to be. And then we can have a better chance of looking at how we can move forward. And I think the same is the same applies to media. And I think, um, you know, I think people like, 
Adrian Miller, actually, he had an article in Huffington Post that I thought was brilliant. Um, and Adrian Miller, he is he is a food historian. He's also a, a former lawyer. He went to Stanford Law, which is one of the top law schools in the country. And he won a James Beard Award for his book um, on soul food. But, you know, he said, if we're going to have real change, it's going to be because essentially, like, white people are going to have to talk to other white people about this. Yeah. And I think that that is that is a huge thing. And I think that's what's happening right now. And and being a part of it and seeing it, like I feel I feel energized and I feel um, I feel like for the first time, like there is like a real reckoning that's happening. And it's really I did not think just a month ago, there is no way I thought we would be where we are right now. And that doesn't mean Truly. that there's a long way to go, but I think we have to acknowledge the vast amount, you know, there's been a shift, a real shift just in the past month. For sure. Um, that's wonderful. And I truly, truly hope that the shift continues. And I'm very interested in terms of a lot of these conversations that came up, especially around, um, equity and unions in terms of food media and what's going to be the future of that. Oh goodness. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, I'm very curious as well. Um, because it's my understanding that it does exist in pockets in some places already, but, um, you know, I'm in like a kind of weird position where I'm kind of in like a lot of different worlds. Like I'm in the cookbook world, I'm in the blogging world, and now I'm really getting more into the con- like contributor to publications world. So, um, you know, like thankfully I'm not like my eggs are in a lot of different baskets. <laughs> Amazing. Well, with that, we come to my favorite part of the podcast, which is our lightning round, um, where I'm just going to throw out some questions to you and they're super quick and light. And I'd love to know your thoughts. Awesome. First, first up is, um, what would be the number one piece of advice you would give to someone looking to follow in your footsteps? I would say start where you are. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I need to go buy a fancy camera and spend all this money and yada, 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 and quit my job. And it's like, well, why don't you just start like wherever you are and A, see if you like it. (laughs) B, see if like, is this really like something you're passionate about and that you want to devote your time and energy to? Because like the payout is is not necessarily going to be like a big financial one or (laughs) anything. Um, For sure. And I think a lot of people, they just like, just start spending all of this money. And it's like, is this something that you're even going to like, you know, is this something you're going to want in six months once you, once you try it out? Love it. Love it. Very true. Um, Who's killing it on the gram? Who do you love to follow? Um, It could be chefs, writers, random celebrities. Oh, 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 God, I think my thoughts on this one might be too controversial to say. But um, there are like a lot of people just out there just like giving their honest, <laughs> most honest selves and takes on things. Um, Ileana Maisonette is one person. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. But her handle is Eat Gorda Eat. And yes, my, amazing. 
she just like she's just telling it like how she sees it. And she also she was doing this live every Saturday where she was making Puerto Rican food. And I've been to Puerto Rico and I loved the food. And I like know nothing about Puerto Rican food. So it was really um for me, it was like really educational watching her lives. Um I think um Alicia Kennedy, although she might be more like in maybe less on Instagram and just more like in general killing it right now. Um, and again, like she's someone who's like not afraid to give her opinion about things, <laughs> even if, you know, even if it's um, something that people are like kind of afraid to agree with in a public way. But um, she also started a newsletter, like a paid newsletter. And I see now a lot and she just started it like probably within the last like couple of months. And it seems like it's doing really well. So she's found like a whole new stream of income. And now I see a lot of other writers kind of doing the same thing. So it's always like awesome to watch people kind of blazing the trail. Love that. Um, What was the last time you were really just like floored by a recipe you developed? Like it just, it came out so incredibly well. You just can't wait to share it with everyone. Um, I would say one of the recipes for my cookbook, one of like the final recipes kind of that I, that I did, it was, I guess about a month and a half ago. Um, and I'm not going to tell you guys what it is, <laughs> but <laughs> I like it. Cause like, to me, it's like, it's so different, but it's something that's like so comforting and classic. And it's like, it's just a great combination. You'll have to have me back when my book's out and I will reveal. You know it. You what know recipe it. I'm talking about. <laughs> I love it. Um, and what's exciting you in the food space right now? It could be ingredient. It could be this reckoning. It could be a combination of the two. Um, just what are, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in the next few months? Oh, gosh. I mean, the reckoning is very exciting because... It feels like, I mean, so many people are like saying things that they've been afraid to say before. And like I said, I think that like when we, when we can get over that fear and have that dialogue, that's what actually like, I don't want to use the word hope, but like, I do have like a bit of hope about, (laughs) I do have a bit of hope about progress. So, um, just like the dialogue that's happening, like, um, and there is a lot of dialogue happening. And it's it's awesome because it's not just happening in food media. Like fashion media is having a huge reckoning right oh now. Oh, my so. God. Yes. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I think the conversation uh, of having this in tandem with a, a, a pandemic um, has been just so, 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 so crucial to the progress because of the fact that, I mean the conversation even today is like Sears Marjan is closing and this is like a billionaire backed company. And right now we're moving away from the old school where like, all right, well, if it's backed by wealth, it's backed by a huge company, then it's going to succeed. No. Now it's like, it truly is going back to the fact of you need to win your audience. Yeah. It's like a grass, like the grassroots almost kind of, campaigns like you take exactly. someone like Rancho Gordo right with his beans <laughs> yes propelled by people who just love the beans um so it's like it's it's 
nice that it's like a great product that's getting the attention. Love it. Um, and then our final question is always our most fun. We um, are going to be playing Fuck, Mary Kill. Um, naturally. Oh my goodness. <laughs> always, always, always. Naturally with baking um, for you. So I, I try to kind of keep it general into categories. So it's going to be a little difficult, but we're going for puff pastry, shoe pastry, and pie dough. Ooh. I'm going to marry pie dough. I will F puff pastry. <laughs> I guess I will kill shoe pastry. All right. There we go. Are there any, are there any like dessert things that you are super passionate about or super um, like loathsome towards? Hmm. What am I loathsome towards? Oh, you caught me off guard. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, I'm glad. Listen, we're gonna we'll keep things then on a positive note. Oh, I have something. I'm loath oh, yeah? stuff that does not taste good. They, I mean, preach. That is truly the number but, one thing. Like the if there's too much food dye, or if it tastes too chemically from like an excess of baking powder or baking soda. I'm just like, why? It is not worth the calories. Why? <laughs> exactly. I could not agree with you more. Val, thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Um, I loved hearing about your perspective. And when I um, am in need of a lawyer, I will definitely call you. <laughs> okay, awesome. Great speaking with you, Jake. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, you can head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed and follow Valerie at Foodie in New York. Um, if you have a tip on who the next social media culinary star will be, send us a DM. We will see you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.